Hey there, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Lakeside. I'm your host, Daniel Stombaugh, and I'm glad you're here with me today. We are going to have a transformational day today. We're going to take the next few minutes and talk about our identity in Christ, that is who we are in Him and who we are to Him. And this is powerful because identity brings purpose. Let's get started. Solomon chapter 1 and verse number 5, and we're in podcast number 5, and we're talking about this book, Song of Solomon, in here. So um, you can mistake this book by saying this is a book about marriage, this is a book about sex, and while the book does contain marriage and does contain sex, the primary goal of Song of Solomon is to convey the heart of the king for his bride. It's an awesome picture of God and his heart for you and for me as his bride. And I truly believe that when the more you understand it as we get going in this book, you're going to start to see some things about yourself and some aspects about your relationship with the King of Kings that you have forgotten about. And man, that's why Paul said, listen, if you could know how much you love, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, the love of God for you, then I promise you it would change everything about you. You'd operate out of the fullness of God and not out of this understanding that God is distant based upon our behavior. It's easy to, to compare that. We say, well, listen, we can be married uh, to our spouse, but not be right with our spouse, not have fellowship with us, be out of fellowship with our spouse. And so um, that must mean that we can be married to God and be out of fellowship with God. And it couldn't be any further from the truth. We are, if we compare that way, then what we've just done is we've brought God down to our level. And God says, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, and simply, um, your redemption is nothing to do with with you. Keeping your redemption has nothing to do with you. It is everything to do with me. That's what the King of Kings says, and that's what we're going to see displayed through the actions of Solomon. No matter what she says, it cannot make her unright with the king's decision. It cannot undo what the king has done in order to bring her to the place where she is now. And so, as we've led up to this point, we find her in the bedroom of the king, and he is looking at her, and he, man, he's, remember we talked about how your proximity uh, to the presence of the king determined your value in that court, and how she was not in, outside the walls. She was not um, in, the, in the palace uh, kitchen. She was not in the uh, entertainer's corner. Uh, she was actually in the bedroom of the king, and this was powerful because it conveyed to her uh, that her, her value to the king was so much greater than anything she would have ever thought it would be. He brought her into his chambers, and so verse number five, let's just jump right in. Into it. She says, uh, remember, we, and, and before we just jump in the dive into the verse, let me just go back and just say this, man, remember we talked about yesterday in the podcast that when she, when she was faced with this understanding that the king has brought her close, the very first thing she does is what you and I do when we come face to face with this understanding that there's nothing you and I can do that can put us out of God's relationship. Romans 5, 1 says we've been made peace with God. We've been given peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the activity on Calvary uh, actually put us in peace with God and there's nothing that you and I can do that can ever put us at war with him because we are now with him. We are together with him. We are reunited by his very spirit within us. And so um, she does exactly what we do when we're faced with this understanding. Man, the more it kicks into you that God has redeemed you and he's made you clean and you are wearing his righteousness, our mind wants to jump back and do exactly what she does. So verse number five, she says, I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kadar. 
Now, what she's doing is she's comparing herself right away. The very first thing she does when she's faced with this love from Solomon is that she automatically begins to look at all the reasons why he should not feel the way that he does about her. Man, she looks at her skin, and her skin is, is weathered. And as we go through this book, you're going to find out some things that have caused her to have a low esteem about herself. Her family uh, was crucial in that. Um, her um, activities that she was engaged in, in life and what she did for a living uh, brought about these feelings of insecurity and brought about these feelings of unworth and her value system was uh, was so hinged on other people that when she's faced with the king, the very first thing she does is she begins to look at her skin and say, you know what, I don't deserve to be here because I don't look like everyone else. And she specifically mentions the daughters of Jerusalem. You know, as she's walking to the king's bedroom, she passes by the different people in the palace and she sees the way they're dressed and she sees the way that they act and she sees the way they behave and and it just reminds her every time she sees them I am not this I am not them I was never them and I'm not like these olive skinned girls that are here in this palace I'm not like these girls that wear the jewelry I'm not like the people in the fancy clothes and the shoes and I'm not like that man I'm, I'm, I'm a beggar I'm a street trash man I, I worked out in the vineyards and my skin has gotten damaged by the sun I didn't have all the fancy cream and aloes to keep my skin looking nice and it just doesn't fit. I don't fit in this bedroom. I don't fit in this kingdom. I don't fit in this room. I don't fit in him. And she begins to tell him and the very first thing she does is she looks him in the eyes when she sees him focused on her. She begins to speak this into her and she says, listen, I'm not like them. I'm not like the other people, and there's so many people out here that are more deserving of your love than me, and there's so many people out there more deserving of your favor on their life than me. There's so many people out there that are more deserving of your specific attention on their life than me because I don't fit in, and she begins to unload on God. Have you ever just unloaded on God? Have you ever, when God begins to move and to stir and to cause things to act in your life, have you ever stood back and just tried to remind him of all the reasons why he should not look twice at you. You know, God, don't you understand that I thunk, I, my thoughts have been like this or my actions are like this and I don't have the past to bring to you. I remember growing up as a boy, I'd hear these evangelists come in to preach at church and man, they had some stories, man, their life. One guy, man, he'd get up there and well, bless God, amen, I'm telling you what, I was a, I was a, a bouncer in a bar, amen. I, and he had this story about being a bouncer and how God redeemed him at, over a knife fight, you know, and it just sounded so good. And he was the son of a preacher that got all tangled up in sin and man it was just this gripping story I remember sitting there as a boy thinking man I don't I have no desire to even run off into that uh <laughs> my story is so obvious it's so plain I grew up in a Christian home you know and I looked around at all the people that God was using in a mighty way and were tempted sometimes to think that we have to have this massive story we're missing the fact that, man, your story is the fact that you've been selected, like God came. And when he knocked on your heart, you responded. And you, when you responded, that's all he wanted. He didn't need Daniel to go off in the, in the taverns. He didn't need Daniel to go off and experiment in drugs. He just needed Daniel to open the door when, the, when, when he knocked on his heart. And man, I'm telling you, she begins to compare herself and she looks at her skin and then she looks at her skin. She begins to look down at her hands and she looks at her face and she looks at all the, the her clothing and she automatically begins to compare this. And then she says this, she says, my skin is like the tents of Kadar. And man, that's where you've got to throw the brakes on this thing. 
come to a stop and say, what does that mean? What are the tents of Kedar? Tents of Kedar would be a fabric. It was making reference to the tents of Kedar would be making reference to the people that would travel, the nomadic tribes that would travel through the arid desert, and they would have their tents would be um, thick wool. It would be from Kedar, very thick, very um heavy, dark, uh, coarse wool, uh, usually black in color or faded, bleached because of the sun, but just a very dark, very itchy, a very thick wool because it would keep out the cool temperatures at the night. It would also absorb all the heat in the daytime and keep that out of the tents, keeping them somewhat cool on the inside. And so she compared her skin to these uh, these uh, fabrics, and it's interesting to me that she looks at these girls in Jerusalem and compares them to the marble walls and the marble palace, and to her, those people have that look, you know, that the the Christian look. They look at it. This is a, and this is God's echelon. This is his upper class. This is his elite. But me, I'm just not that. And she looked at herself and she said, I'm like this. I'm I'm like these tents of care. Very irritating to the skin. I don't know if you ever wore a wool shirt or a wool pants and you didn't have any undershirt underneath of it. Um, it will chafe and it will irritate you. And it, you just can't wait to get out of that wool because it is a irritable substance to wear. It's an irritable fabric. It's very heavy and very hot. And she compared herself to the worst thing in her mind. Like, I'm going to go and, and look at the worst thing in my mind and make this comparison to this. And so she throws out this comparison. I'm like the tents of Kedar. And I imagine as she's talking there, she's standing up against Solomon's bed or the big four-poster bed, you know. She's standing up against. she says, look, I'm like the tents of Kedar. You don't, you don't want me. You don't want this to be, uh, to be part of your life. And as she's comparing herself to that, he walks up to her and he puts his right hand up, up behind her on that four-poster uh, post of the bed there as he looks deep into her eyes his left hand reaches down beside her to that tent silk that that silk that that curtains that would have hung around his bed uh, to to keep out the light but also to and to make it uh, very comfortable and cool to sleep in at night he reaches down and grabs that that silk uh, sheet that's hanging there uh, the, the see-through silk and he reaches it up and he pulls it up to her face and it just goes right across the bridge of her nose and he just kind of forms a veil and just so he can look deep into those eyes that he fell in love with and he looks at her and he cuts her right off he just stops her and says, no, 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 no. You're like the silken tents of Solomon. You are like the curtains of Solomon. Here she is explaining, man, I'm just like this tents of Kedar. He says, no, no, you are not. You're like the curtains of Solomon, the silk curtains of Solomon. Why does he say that? Because kings don't wear wool. Kings wear wool. Silk. She felt that she lacked this beauty that he deserved. And have you ever looked at God and you feel like you lack this beauty or you lack the talent and you lack the skill and you lack this uh, abundance and you lack this um, ability that he deserves for you to have? You look at it and you say, I lack that. And man, we hear about his love and, and we think about that he accepts us just what we are, how we are, and it tears at us because, man, we're, we're terrible receivers. We have our, we are, we have, we are terrible to receive things. Man, when somebody gives you, uh, even somebody gives you five dollars, the very first thing that offers to buy you a meal, the very first thing you do is say, no, 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 I got it, I got it. Or they offer to pay something for you, no, 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 I, I got this. Man, have you ever lo- lost your job or in a position where you needed help financially, and somebody comes along? It's very humbling to take something from somebody, especially when someone doesn't have the money to give themselves, but they're reaching out and they're giving that to you. 
to you. We are terrible receivers. And man, and whether it's getting a blessing from God or receiving a compliment, someone says, hey, you have a nice hair today. And the very first thing we do is try and tell them, talk them out of why they said that. No, no, it's a, uh, man, they did this. They messed up on this. We we have a hard time taking a compliment. And she just, man, she's, she's doing this where she's telling him, I've got this, I've got this problem, I've got this problem. He just cuts her off and says, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. I made you silk. My son, he's really, he's, he's three, just turned four, and he has this issue, man. He says, yeah, but, yeah, but, and I don't even know where he got it from, but you talk to him and say, hey, Blake, you want to go, you want to watch a movie? Yeah, but, yeah, but what? <laughs> he just throws it out there, and man, God says, listen, I, I chose you. Yeah, but, I forgave you. Yeah, but, man, I, I, I love you. Yeah, but, and we want to throw that out there and say, listen, I, I, I feel like, I feel like Kadar, and so I must be Kadar, and if there's anything that you're going to see as we go through the Song of Solomon book is that you are not what you feel. You are everything that his word reveals about you, and so as you look at this stuff, man, ask the Holy Spirit to open your understanding. Say, hey, Holy Spirit, would you please peel back my understanding of my own value and worth? For so long, I based my value off of what I can do for God, or I based my value on what other people think of me. And I would you peel that back and give me an understanding of my value and my worth in the eyes of the King, because that is who matters. I don't want to live for Jesus anymore. I want to live from him. I want to live from his, uh, from the understanding that I'm loved and from the understanding that I have value with him, from the understanding that he made me silk. And let me just say, God made you silk. God made you silk. I don't feel like silk, Daniel. It doesn't matter what you feel. You were made silk when the Holy Spirit of God moved in, man, when he invaded your heart at salvation. This same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within you. Colossians says we are complete in him. We're complete in him. That means I have everything of God. I have been given everything of the kingdom. I've been given everything of his name, and I have him. And man, you were made complete at salvation. He says, man, I made you this. I made you silk. Kings do not wear wool, they were silk, and God made you the very best. God made you the very best, and God made me the very best. Man, the most incredible day of your life is when you will decide and understand, I'm going to operate out of the way he sees me and not out of the way I see me. I'm going to operate out of the way he sees me and not out of the way that I see me. My value was changed. My worth was changed. And before, in the secular world, you, you go to a business and it's what you bring to the table uh, is what provides value to you. And what you bring to the company provides value to you. What you bring um, in speaking to an audience of people provides your value. But understand this, when it comes to God, it's, there's nothing you can do. He says our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing that you can do to provide value to yourself. And so all I can do is simply take what he has given me, accept it, and say, God, I'm putting on your robe of righteousness. And even though I don't feel righteous, even though that I don't behave righteously sometimes, I understand that I am not my behavior. I understand I was given a new nature. I was given a new heart at salvation. I was, your laws were written upon my heart. Hebrews said I received this better thing than the Old Testament saints had. Man, they received not the promise. What is the promise that I received? I received the blessed hope uh, that is in us. Peter says, man, speak it out. The blessed hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What is that blessed hope? It's the Holy Spirit of God. Man, the Old Testament saints, as good as Daniel was, as good as David was, as good as all these people were, and we say, I want to be like David. I want to have a heart for God like David. Man, you have such a better heart for God than David did. David would beg the Holy Spirit, please don't leave me. Please don't leave 
believe me. And God said, I've given you a better thing. I've given you the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he's inside of you. And that means you and I are connected, and there's nothing you can do that will ever unconnect you. There's nothing you can say that will be greater, uh, that will undo, be great enough to undo what I did to connect us in the first place through Calvary. The blood was applied for you. My spirit indwells you. You and I are one together now. And so there's nothing you, you wear my righteousness, Daniel. And let me just say, you listening to this uh, broadcast, you wear God's righteousness. If you are his child, you wear his righteousness. It is your clothing and it is silk. And God made you silk. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what you've come out of. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your mistakes are. I don't care how many broken hearts are lit in a trail behind you. I don't care how many things that you have done, how many nights you wish you can have back. Understand this. You were made silk at Calvary. God made you silk and you stand in the kingdom and you stand in the king's chambers and you stand completely loved and adored by the king. He looks you in the eye and when you start to throw up your past and you start to say, look, what about this? What about that? What about all of these mistakes? And God says, I don't remember those anymore. They're as far as the east is from the west from me, man. I made you new. I made you silk. Kings don't wear wool. They wear silk. I made you silk. I made you silk. Man, what an awesome, awesome statement. Your homework today is to simply find something, a scratch piece of paper, a three or five card, put it somewhere up, take some, uh, take a marker and write it on the bathroom mirror, lipstick, or whatever you want to put on the bathroom mirror. I want you to write this, this phrase down, I am silk. I am silk. God made you silk. And anytime you're tempted to feel like you are wool, understand this, it is only a feeling. It is not truth revealed. Truth revealed is that he made you silk. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God made you silk. Man, it's awesome. So we're going to jump right into verse number six on the next uh, next podcast here next episode of Lakeside, we're going to jump into uh, this number six, this this, this uh, chapter where she starts to really compare. And this is where it gets beautiful because she compares her skin and she's, he's talking to her and she's overwhelmed by this. Just like maybe you were when we're talking about how God made you uh, clean, man. It just It's overwhelming at first to hear that, to really listen to that. It's overwhelming to look at that. Man, we focus so much on us keeping ourselves clean. I heard one person say, if God doesn't let Satan into hell with sin, what makes you think he'll let you? you into hell with sin. If God doesn't let Satan into heaven with sin, what makes you think he'll let you into heaven with sin? So keep a short account with God. And as much as that sounds good because it makes gives puts responsibility back on me, look, man, God's shoulders are so much bigger. Uh, God doesn't let Satan into hell, into heaven rather, because uh, he was already determined and already judged as damned. God redeemed you. He redeemed me. And it's not big, big sin, little God. It's big God, little sin. It's, it's God that's redeemed me. And I'm not wearing if I wore my own righteousness, you're right, I wouldn't make it, but I'm wearing his righteousness and I walk and stand boldly before the throne of grace. And I look at that, I don't use it as an excuse to run off and do the do all, every crazy thing you can think of because after all, I got grace. No, 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 it draws me closer to the Father. It says, man, King, I love you. You are mine. You are mine and I am yours. And we're going to just explore more of this. Thank you so much for being on here and I hope you have a fantastic day today. Make sure you give away your smile give away your smile. Every time you smile to someone, you are giving away your source. And the world is hungry for your source. Thanks so much for being with me today. I look forward to our next time together. God bless you.